you guys ready to get into the Word? If you remember, if those of you that are regular attenders here know that uh, right before Easter, we finished a seven-part series on the book of Ephesians. And uh, typically, I, uh, I like to do topical messages, uh, but that time we went through a book, which is kind of more of an expository style, where we go through it, whether it's verse by verse or a, a chapter by chapter. Uh, and I really enjoy that. I like to do that in my own time, but I've never really, we, that it, we used to have Wednesday night services, and we did it then. But um, so we did that, and I enjoy that. And many of you said that you did. So I want to jump into another book uh, today, and uh, it should be something like Ruth or something, but it's not. Uh, be Mother's Day Ruth or some get it Ruth Esther. It would be, Esther would have been a good book to teach out of today, but that's not where the Lord led me. Um, so I want you to uh, let me ask you this: if 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 this was a to, to kind of let you know what book we're going to be talking about today. Um, if we were doing a Bible trivia question, and I ask you, what is the, and the question came up on the card, and it said, what is the last book in the Old Testament? How many of you would be able to get that? What is it? Malachi, exactly, exactly. Right before, comes right before Hezekiah, right? Amen? No, 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 there's no book of Hezekiah. He's just an individual in the Bible. Okay, so anyway, we're going to talk about uh, this great book uh, of Malachi, and uh, I'm going to encourage you, don't check out. You know, sometimes people, I know some Christians that they kind of check out when you talk about the Old Testament. They thought, well, we're New Testament believers. We live in a new covenant with a, you know, where it's a better covenant established on better promises and we stay there. But remember the word of God. Remember the Bible says, and I've told you this many times, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, also in first, uh, not first, in Romans, because there's only one Romans, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, they in essence say the same thing, and that's this. They, talking about the Old Testament, the prophets and the, the Psalms and the Proverbs, they were written for our admonition. They were written for our instructions. Uh, both of those, again, say the same thing. So uh, there's so many tremendous lessons that we can gain from reading some of these books in the Old Testament. The book of uh, Malachi was a, was a time when, when faith was... Look, looking for vibrant faith, man, it was just absent. There was, just, there was no vibrant faith. Debilitating doubt was, again, sapping their faith away. And uh, people, were, people were quick to embrace the easy way out, not to mention uh, they were careless about walking out the will of God. Now, I was just curious, as I said that, as I said that, I wonder if there's anybody that, that thought like I did. That sounds a whole lot like today. There's a lot of people that are willing to embrace the easy route, take the easy thing, just what, whatever, and sometimes being careless, again, about walking out, out the will of God. And this, is a, this, this book has so much to teach us, so much to open our eyes to. If we'll, if we'll be honest and, and, and look at it, it'll, it'll teach us some things, again, that we need to be reminded of. It's going to be a very series. It'll be, it's a four-week series. We'll go one chapter a week. Uh, it will be, I think it'll be very eye-opening. It'll be very uh, challenging, uh, again, if we, if we have eyes to see. So let's pray as we get into the Word today. Father, I thank you for the opportunity, again, to share your Word with these, your people. We thank you for uh, all of these Old Testament writers, Lord, New Testament writers as well. God, you moved on holy men of old to record these things, to help us, to, to give us uh, hope and a future. We bless you, Father, today. Give us eyes and ears and hearts to receive the things that you have for us this particular day. And God, again, we just ask you for a special grace blessing today on all of our moms. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So I think it would really help to, kind of like we started out Ephesians, we started out giving a little bit of a background 
on, on the Apostle Paul. I want to give you just a little bit of a background on, on what, what uh, Malachi kind of walked into here. Um, it helped maybe to understand a little bit about that prophets uh, fell in three different categories. Uh, it, some of you may remember that uh, they were taken into captivity by Babylon. Uh, it, was, it was prophesied by Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 10. It says that, that, that it told them that it was, it was going to happen because of their rebellion, because of their murmuring, their complaining, they're just, they're just their, their sin. And they were going to be carried into, uh, into captivity. And so uh, prophets were either post, that we call that exilic or exile captivity, or during the captivity, or after the captivity. And then when the captivity happened, again, it happened... Uh, when, when Babylon came in and defeated uh, Jerusalem and destroyed it, uh, it was 605 years before Christ was born. That's B.C. And uh, the prophets during that time that would be uh, pre, before it would be like Daniel, Ezekiel, Micah. Then there was prophets that prophesied during the, the exile, during the, when they were in captivity. And that would be like Ezekiel and Daniel. And then you had the prophets like Malachi that would be called post-exilic or post-exile uh, prophets. And again, that kind of gets kind of cluttery, but again, it just helps to know, again, understand what happens. And then, pretty much right at 70 years, God uh, raised up a king, uh, an ungodly king by the name of Cyrus to defeat, it was a miracle to defeat the, the, the great army, the great Babylonian army defeated them and King Cyrus made a decree that all the Jews were going to be released. And just like the, the, um, the captivity happened, it happened in stages. Uh, it didn't happen. They didn't just go destroy Jerusalem and then take everybody all at once. They took the, the, the cream of the crop. They took the, the, like the Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were, remember, they were found 10 times smarter, 10 times better than everybody else. They took the, the business leaders, the, the farmers, and the, the ones that really you know, knew what they were doing and stuff. That's who they took first. And then eight years later, they came in and took uh, 50,000 more, or 10,000 more. They came and took 10,000 more. And then 11 years later, so this is how long it took them to, to really get, gather everybody, uh, the Jews, they, uh, 11 years later, they finally got everybody else except the, 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 the uh, I guess the, the, those that didn't have jobs and weren't, weren't very healthy. They, they left them, left them back. But anyway, so this is important right here to note that this time that Malachi came on the scene was a hundred years later after the, after the exile, after the, the captivity was over a hundred years later. And three things happened, uh, that were good. The, uh, the uh, temple was rebuilt because they destroyed the temple. Babylon destroyed the temple. Uh, the wall was, it was being built, and they had restored the sacrificial system that God had initiated way back in the book of Exodus. From generations to generations to generations, they did those sacrifices, and they did the, the Passover uh, meal every year. So it's, again, it's important to, to understand that. Uh, while all of these things were positive, you know, the, the wall being built, the temple being done, and the sacrifices, all those things, there just seemed to be a spirit of depression, just a spirit of lethargy that was just going through all the people. And, uh, and again, it had kind of settled in on them, skepticism and spiritual indifference uh, to, to, about the people. And not only them, but the leaders as well, the priests. Uh, they were just, and really chapter 1 is dealing a lot with the priest and the people as well. And how do you suppose that this spirit of lethargy and this depression after they, they've been released? Well, really, again, you think that there were in 70 years of captivity, some of those people 
now they're in their 30s and 40s and 50 years old that were born during that exile. And they just heard it. They, you know, they, they weren't able to practice their sacrificial system, but now it had, again, it had been restored. And, uh, and two prophets had prophesied, uh, Haggai and Zechariah had prophesied that, uh, in fact, here's what it said in Haggai. It says, I will fill the house with glory. Talking about the, the temple, says the Lord of hosts, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And this place I will give peace declares the Lord of hosts. And again, Zechariah had prophesied something very similar to those things. And the people were like, when is this going to happen? You know, when is this? This is because what they're talking about, this, the former house was the Solomon's temple. And if you remember, it was, it was the most amazing. Uh, the Queen of Sheba came and she was blown away. It said it took her breath away. The temple was so amazing. Just the glory of God was in that place. And he's saying here through these prophets, this is going to happen again. But they're like back and they're saying, when? When is this going to happen? And two things that we really have uh, in common uh, with, um, or something, I mean, that we have in common with uh, the these, these Jews at this time, this time period that Malachi is prophesying, is they were waiting on the, the coming Messiah. Remember in the Old Testament, it was all prophesied. Everything was pointing to the coming. There was types and shadows. All the animal sacrifices, all the blood that was shed was all pointing to one day when the true, the Lamb of God would come and shed his blood for the remission of our sins. Everything pointed to that. So they were waiting on that and got, kind of got where they just didn't believe it anymore. And uh, today we're waiting on the coming Messiah the second time. We're waiting on the rapture to happen. And listen, I've been, I've been hearing ever since I was, I mean, I can't even remember. I was raised in church. I think, in fact, I think I was born in a pew. And uh, I've been hearing from my, you know, my mom always and other people that I listen to, man, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming, Jesus is coming. And a lot of Christians, you know, have heard that. And I wonder how many people, how many Christians got saved because they heard Jesus was coming, they heard maybe some teaching on the end time, how terrible it's going to be, and they sort of didn't want to get lost in that mess. But then, you know, they kind of, Jesus is coming, they got saved, but he hadn't come, and he hadn't come, and he hadn't come, and they kind of, kind of slide back into maybe some of their old ways, and, and you know what I'm saying? That's none of you guys, all right? You guys are still holding on to your hope Jesus is coming, right? It's not like I hope he does. It's I hope it's today. I hope it's tomorrow. It's a sure thing that's coming. That's what's called Bible hope. So here's the thing. Um, you know, let me just say this. There was a, uh, in how many of you remember this, that Jesus was coming back in 1988? Do you remember that? I mean, it was a big thing that Jesus was coming back in 88 because in 1987, there was a book written, 88 Reasons. This is honest to God truth. There was a book written, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back. And it gave some good reasons. I mean, some biblical, all these things. They, they pulled the Bible out and all these things. Um, but you know, when a lot of, uh, there was many Christians that did as they went and they charged, took their credit cards, they maxed them out and got other credit cards and maxed them out because Jesus come back and I'm not going to have to pay it. Well, guess what? He didn't come back in 1988. And a lot of those went bankrupt. And next year, the guy that wrote the book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back, he wrote another book in 89, 89 Reasons Why Jesus Didn't Come Back. <laughs> now, that was a joke. But the first one was a, was a true story that people, that there, he did write that book and people did charge things up. So again, back to the people of Malachi's day. So Malachi was charged with speaking to these, to these people. And while the people went through various religious observances, uh, the people, again, and the priests, they just, they just didn't have their heart at it. Their heart just wasn't, wasn't in what they were doing. So what we're going to see in Malachi, we'll see this today, Malachi chapter 1, 
the priest, they, they accepted defiled sacrifices. In chapter 2, the people disregarded God's law concerning marriage. Chapter 3, they were not faithful in their finances. And 4, they had lost all hope in the coming Messiah. And the only way that we could look at this book, well, it's an Old Testament book. And the only way that we could look at this and say that this book is really out of date, it's really Old Testament, it's not really relevant today, is this. If we've never, wondered, if we've never wavered in our faith... I don't know about you, but there have been times when I have wavered in my faith. If we've, uh, if we've offered half-hearted devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ like they did, and there's been times when I've done that, and if we've, never, if we've never ignored his commandments, if we've never ignored his words, then we can say that book is outdated. But it's very much practical for, again, today. You'll be amazed, again, as we see these things. And again, this is clearly one of those books that was written for our admonition so that we can learn, again, from the mistakes of others. So again, God sends this straight-talking, courageous prophet uh, named Malachi to reestablish standards of excellence, ex- standards that had gone down, 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 down. There was a, a great businessman by the name of Peter Drucker. He was known, he's, he's passed away now, but he was known for uh, his business uh, systems and writing books and just a brilliant, brilliant man. He wrote this one time, or made this statement. He said one of the most important functions of leadership is to uphold standards of excellence for the simple reason that without consistent promptings, excellent and excellent standards always drift south. And that's true. Anybody that's ever managed a company or managed business or managed people know that's true, that if you don't constantly uphold the standards of excellence, they will, they will, they will go south. So Malachi began his declaration pretty straightforward. He didn't say, yeah, you know, guys, it just kind of seems to me, uh, I just kind of been watching things. No, he jumps right in. And again, Malachi's style as a prophet was a little bit different than we see from other prophets. He has more of a dialogue. In fact, throughout these four chapters, we'll see seven times, seven dialogues where God makes an accusation or God makes a charge or tells a truth. The people object to the truth and then God rebuts their, their objection. So again, we see this, um, um, so what we'll see, and be sure that you, you note this, these things were not just, hey, you could do these things better. These were sins. These were things that were, they were just wrong. So let's read uh, uh, verses 1 through 5, Malachi chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 5. They'll be up here on the TV. They're on the, the CityGate app. They're also on the version. If you want to follow along, if you've got a Bible, that's great. Last book in the Old Testament. All right, so here we go. This is verse 1. This is the message that the Lord gave to Israel through the prophet Malachi. Now, here's God's fact. Here's his first fact. I have always loved you. I have always loved you, uh, says the Lord, but you have retorted. Now, here's their objection. But you've, here's what they said. Really? How have you loved us? Are you kidding me? Are you, they didn't say you're kidding me. I'm saying that too. Are you kidding me? I mean, what a way, what a way to respond to God. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine parents who, you know, you, 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 you raise your children, you sacrifice for your kids, you eat at McDonald's when you don't really want McDonald's. This is when they're little chicken nuggets and stuff. All, most parents go through that. Some parents are strong and they hold that when they don't. But, man, we gave in. We ate, we ate a lot of McDonald's meals for our kids. I kind of liked it. Paula didn't. Truth be told, just all full disclosure. But, you know, you do make sacrifices, you, you do things, you, you, you save, and you buy, and you do, and you do, and you do all these things. And then, uh, you know, they kind of get in those teenage years, and then they kind of get smart mouth, and you say something, and then, you don't love me. And you just want to show them they're right. <laughs> I mean, but all the things that they do, and they get all the things that God has done for them, and then they say, really? How have you loved us? 
And then God goes on, he gives his, his reply. He says, this is how I showed my love for you. I loved your ancestors, Jacob, but I rejected his brother Esau. Now remember, Jacob and Esau were brothers, and uh, Jacob he loved, and Esau, the Bible says in one translation here, says that he hated. And it wasn't, again, that's a, that's a very troubling verse to a lot of people. Why, why would God hate? It wasn't that. It was more of a comparative illustration. I love Jacob, and my love for Jacob, my love for, for really the, the people of Israel was so great that my love for others, my love for Esau, was like a hate. But again, he loved, he loved Esau. Esau was blessed as well. He says, I turned, uh, verse, uh, verse 3, he says, but I rejected his brother Esau and devastated his hill country. I turned to Esau's inheritance into a desert of jackals. Esau's descendants in Edom may say, uh, we have been scattered, but we will rebuild the ruin. We will, will rebuild the ruins. But the Lord of heaven's armies replies, they may rebuild, but I will demolish it again. Their country will be known as the land of wickedness and their people will be called the people with whom the Lord is forever angry. And when we see this destruction, and when you see this destruction yourselves, you will say, truly, the Lord's greatness searches far beyond Israel's brother borders. Uh, one thing that, again, understand, these were, like, these were like cousins, like first cousins, the, the, uh, the Israel and the Edomites. Again, Jet, Edomites were descendants from uh, Esau. And so they were, they were, they were first cousins, but they, the Edomites were... Um, they were uh, responsible. They would go and round up some of the Jews and turn them into when Babylon was, uh, remember their, their captivity came in stages. So they, the Edomites would round some up and say, here, here's some are. So they were enemies of that. So God loved Jacob. God loved Jacob and he, he, he loved Esau. But again, it was like a comparative thing. So again, verse two, he says, I've always loved you says the Lord. Now remember, God had established a sacrificial system way back in the book of uh, Exodus when they, were, when they were getting. The first one was the Passover meal where they sacrificed the lamb. They took the blood. They put it over the doorpost. And when the death angel came across the land, anybody that did not have the blood over their doorpost, their firstborn animal, their firstborn son was taken, died. So again, they, from generation to generation, this was the passed away. It never affected Israel. All the ten plagues that happened, it never, none of them ever affected Israel. Uh, they lived in a, in a city called Goshen, which was just right outside. I mean, it was right there. It was a, just a little area that they, they let the Jews live. But all, when the frogs came and the gnats and the boils and the, uh, the locusts and all that, but it never, the, the plague of darkness, that would be a, a just something that you'd love to see. When there's darkness all through Egypt, but there's light coming down and shining on, on Goshen, where Israel, where the Jews lived. It's interesting. So again, so again, they repeated this, they were to repeat this Exodus experience from generation to generation to generation, all the way down to the generation where Malachi is talking right here. So God is saying, I have always loved you, and you say, how have you loved us? And God says, I chose you, chomp. Chomp my word, not God's word. But they were chomps. He said, I have always, always loved you. You know, here's a scripture back in Deuteronomy talking to those that were in, in 400 years of bondage. Rather, it would simply be, uh, rather, it, is, it was simply that the Lord loves you and he's keeping his oath. He has sworn to your ancestors. That is why the Lord rescued you with such a great, uh, with such a strong hand uh, from your slavery and from the oppressive hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And again, of course, he's talking to those, that was the 400 years in Egypt bondage. And they spent only 70 years, like only 70 years, in bondage uh, to the Babylonians. 
Now listen, I don't want you to miss this. I definitely don't, don't miss this. What caused them in this situation, what caused their faith to, to wax so, so, uh, so, um, so weak? And again, sometimes ours waxes weak. What happens, uh, they offered half-hearted devotions. And I think sometimes that we could say that we offer, we get at times when we offer half-hearted devotions. They ignored God's commandments. And there's times that we ignore God's word sometimes. So again, we have a lot in common that we see with these people, again, that Malachi's writing to. And there's times that we may feel like that we're in bondage. We may feel like that we're in bondage to difficulties, bondage to, to debt, bondage to bad relationships, bondage to a bad boss, a bad company. We just can't get away from it. It seems like every time we turn around, we go from one bad thing to another. And it seems like to everyone around, it seems like, at least to you, it seems like that, that, uh, that you are, in fact, in bondage. And just like in Malachi's day, God asked, the, God asked this question, God asked this question, uh, they asked this question, does God love us? And there's times that I think that we question, we've questioned, does God love us when we go through difficult things, when, when, someone, when somebody that we love, we pray for, and they're not healed, or you go through something, and you're not healed, or you were standing against something, and something came against you. And certainly the devil is there. Certainly he's there to throw his fuel onto the fire that God, he doesn't love you. If he loved you, he would have never allowed this to happen. Amen. Anybody ever heard that lie from the devil? Well, it's kind of like Paula said last week, when you hear that lie, you better find your honey in the rock. You better find that sweet word of God. God is faithful and his love is enduring. He chose us. He chose us. I love this verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. God's very own possession. You are God's very own possession. That's you. That's New Testament. That's the new covenant established on better promises. That's us. That's who God has chosen us. So, Pastor, what are you saying? What are you saying is the point here? Again, we need to know. We need to know that when God loves us, that circumstances going through difficult times, God still loves us. He's never, never quits loving us. Never, never quits loving us. God loves me when even circumstances point in that opposite direction. And again, isn't that one of the biggest lies that Satan promotes? That when we go through things, that God knows this. Why didn't God stop this? Even when the stupid things that we've done got into ourselves. So now Malachi, he shifts the, the, the storyline here. And he goes from, does God love me, to do I love God? He asks them, do you love God? And this will be the question throughout the rest of this book. Malachi chapter 1, let's look at verse 6. It says, The Lord of heaven's army says to the priest, A son honors his father, and servants respect his master. If I am your father and master, where are the honor and respect I deserve? You have shown contempt for my name. And again, here's their question. Here's their, their, their rebuttal to that. And they ask, How have we ever shown contempt for your name. How have we ever? God says that, that something, here's a fact, and you say, how have we ever done that? What, what would be a better way to say something, to respond to, if God ever spoke to us and said, you've shown contempt for my name? When have I ever shown contempt for you? No, that wouldn't be a good way. It would be, God, I am sorry. God, forgive my ignorance and my, my stupidity, but, but show me, if, if you don't know where it is, just show me, open my eyes, because I don't want to ever do that again. Not, when have we ever done that? These people were glutton for punishment. But God answers their question, uh, the verse 6, the question again being, how have we ever shown contempt to your name? Uh, the English Standard Version, verse 7, says this, by offering a polluted food, 
by offering polluted food upon my altar. Uh, Malachi, let me read this, verses 7 through 9 out of the Message Bible. I just like the way that uh, Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, but when you say the altar of God is not important anymore, worship of God is no longer a priority, that's defiling. God says that's defiling. And when you offer worthless animals for sacrifice and worship animals that you're trying to get rid of, blind and sick and crippled animals, isn't that defiling? He says, try to trick, uh, try to try a trick like that on your banker or your senator. You know, we always want favor with our bankers. You know, we want them to when we want to borrow money or something. We go, oh yeah, yeah. So we we bake them cookies. Paula bakes cookies to our banker all the time. Y'all do that, right? <laughs> She's no, no, I don't. <laughs> Verse nine says this: Get on your knees and pray that I will be gracious to you. You priests have gotten everyone in trouble. With this kind of conduct, do you think that I will pay attention to you? The priests had gotten people into trouble because it was the people that were bringing defiled and crippled and maimed and blind sacrifices, but the priests were accepting them. The priests should have rebuked them and says, no, our God is, you know, they didn't, but they took them and they tried to stick them up on the altar and pass them off to God. I like that, though, when he says in, a, in the... You said you offer polluted food on my altar. You know, it's strawberry time. How many of you gone and gotten your strawberries already? We went and got some uh, the other day. Something that we found out real quick when we moved down here and we started picking strawberries or going and getting them uh, picked already is that, well, you've got to do something with those things quick. You've got to cap them and put them in the refrigerator. If you just leave them out, boy, within just a matter of a couple of days, those things start getting white fuzzy, little fuzzy strawberries, and they don't taste as good as the, the, the regular strawberries. <laughs> and uh, I found that out. And then the bananas are kind of the same way. You never want to buy a, a bunch uh, of yellow bananas unless you can talk your, your wife into making a good banana pudding, like I try to do sometimes. But she, she likes to let them get speckled a little bit. But, uh, you know, bananas are something that goes quick, too. I mean, they, they just go, and all of a sudden they get speckled. Then I just can't stand. There's, there's a two-day window that bananas are good. They can be too green, they're perfect, and they're rotten. How would it be, how would it be, moms, if, uh, if you had some, you, you went and got these strawberries, and man, you came in, and they're just fuzzy, and they're white, and they're fuzzy, and your bananas, you look over, and they're just, they're all speckled, and you're getting ready to throw them away, and one of your little children comes in, and they say, no, 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 mom, don't throw that in, don't throw that in. Miss Kim asked us to, this Sunday to bring a special offering to the Lord, and, and I could take those bananas and those strawberries if we're not going to eat them. What would a good mom say? <laughs> No, those things are not worthy to give God as an offering. But that's kind of what they were doing. They were giving the, the, the fuzzy, uh, the speckled bananas, and the fuzzy strawberries, and the, and the uh, yeah, the, you know what, you get the picture, right? All right, say, I got it, right? I got it. So, um, God had said this back in Deuteronomy 21. It says this, but if it has, talking about the, the kind of sacrifices he would accept, but if it has a blemish, if it's lame or blind, if it has any serious blemish whatsoever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. So hundreds of years, hundreds of years prior to this time, God had given instructions of what kind of lamb to bring as an offering. What kind of lamb was it? It was the kind of lamb they would have walked through their herds and they would have found the blue ribbon lamb. They would have found the lamb that if they took it to the market, it would have brought the most money. Not one that was, looks like it was going to die in a few weeks. It was, you know, limping. No, those were not acceptable to God. God only wanted the best. Did you know this? That even still today, God still wants our best. 
God still wants your best. He still wants my best. Not our best lambs. We don't live under that sacrificial system. Jesus Christ completed that on the cross. He said it is finished. His blood was the final blood that would have to be shed for the remission of our sins. But he still wants our best. Our best what? He still wants our best life. Our best life. And when God asks us questions, you know, it's not because he's trying to find answers. You know, when God said, Adam, where are you? It wasn't God, you know, lost his GPS, his 360. I can't find Adam. Adam, where are you? He asked a question because he wanted Adam to, to, to where, where am I? What have I done when he and, and sin, uh, Eve had sinned? And they were hiding from him in the garden. And when they say, he says, where is the honor and the respect I deserve? He knew where their honor and the respect was. And he knew where it wasn't. It wasn't in those things that they were doing that they were bringing to him. What was the basis? What was the basis for accusing? What was God's basis for accusing them of dishonoring him as their master? It was, again, it was in bringing the sacrifices that were not acceptable unto him. And this, essentially, they're saying that, God, you're not worth the best. You're not worth my best. I think my leftovers will suffice for you. You know, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12, tells us that we're to live, a, we're to be, uh, present ourselves as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. Why? Because God is such a great, such a great God. What did you think? What did you think the first time that you heard that God requires your best? Do you remember that? Can you remember back the time when, when you heard that, that God requires your best? Maybe you're here today and this is the first time you've ever heard that, that God requires your best. God wants our best life. Everything that we do, our best worship, our best service. He wants everything because, again, he deserves that. What happens sometimes without realizing it is we, we have us. Well, let me say this. Um, when I was growing up, there was times that I did just enough to get by. So maybe sometimes around the house, sometimes the chores that I had to do uh, in school, academically, whatever it took to get by. Uh, and what we don't realize is sometimes that just get by lifestyle, it carries over into our spiritual life. And we give God just enough to what we think that we can get by. But do we ever consider, do we ever consider that God just might not want our leftovers? He might not want our leftover. He might not want our leftover time, our leftover talent, our leftover money, our leftover love. Do we ever consider that leftovers just may be offensive to God? You know, God will probably be impressed that uh, I say a prayer at, uh, when I go out to eat. You know, sometimes I pray and close my eyes and, and bow my head. And sometimes I just have my head bowed so people around me can see that I'm praying. <laughs> you ever notice people that are praying in restaurants? It's okay if they do. If you do, it's okay if I pray. It's okay. <laughs> But what I'm saying is, sometimes people will do that just to be seen. But I love to see, when I'm in a restaurant, I've always noticed, I said, I'll tell Paula, I just, I like to no, I notice people when they pray. And uh, but I, I'm sure that God is impressed when we do that. Don't you think that that impresses him? And don't you think it impresses him when we come to church every so often? I mean, he knows we're busy. He knows we've got things to do. Listen, say this with me. Say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I choose to rejoice and be glad in it. I choose 
not to be offended. In Jesus' name. Amen. And I say that because I want to preface it before I say this. Now listen to me, especially those of you that are watching online. There's a danger that kind of, to me, that kind of came out of, of COVID-19. And what the danger was uh, uh, that people have discovered a new normal. And that new normal is sometimes it's, sometimes it's easier and it's more convenient uh, to stay home and watch TV and watch the, watch the service online. And I don't believe that's God's best. I think that online definitely has a place. I think the place that online has is when, uh, when we're sick. Uh, it could be uh, in the pandemic when if you're a person that you're highly susceptible uh, to the virus, I understand that. Uh, if a person's out of town, if they're on vacation, uh, to watch it. But I don't think, I don't think using it as, using online as an alternative because it's more convenient and it's easier. I don't think that's giving God our best because we are the body of Christ. You online, you are the body of Christ. And the churches are made up of, of uh, the church, the, the capital C, the, the church of, is made up of little C's, which is the local church. And, uh, you know, if the Bible says that it is, there's a place that has pleased God to put you. There's a place that has pleased God. There's a body that God puts you. You have gifts, you have talents, you have resources for that. Not only do you, you give your resources, your time, your talent, and your treasures, but you also receive you receive from other people as well. And uh, we just tell you, we need one another. Up here in this box is a, it is a, if I can get it out. It's a bicycle. Isn't that nice? And if I've got, if I, I was going to say if I have a seat, I have everything, everything I need. And yeah, this is it. This is the whole bicycle, steering wheels, everything's right there. All the parts to make this bicycle, to be able to get where I need to get, it's all right there. It's all gathered parts. Today, we are gathered here together. But just gathered is that what we need to be is to be assembled. If this bike was assembled, then we can, we can get places. Come, assembled bike. <laughs> oh, pray for people on the aisles. <laughs> now, that's an assembled bicycle. <laughs> oh, that was good. My heart. We prayed and we prayed and we practiced all week for that. We were really concerned about the people sitting on the aisles, and Riley was too. But honest to God, there is a, there's, a, there's a big difference, obviously, between this bike and that bike. But they both had the, all the same parts. But that was assembled. And when we come together, the Bible says, forsake not, didn't say the gathering together, forsake not the assembling together. When we're assembled together, that means everyone is using their gift, their talent, their treasures, again. And then when we do that, then we can get places. This way we can't. Now, if Riley came, if she came in here and, and I took off one of those pedals, just something as simple as one side of that pedal, she'd have one pedal, she'd have to kick hard to get it to, speak, to go all the way around, or if she got stuck down, then she'd have to pull her other foot, put her toes in there, pull that other side up, and then, put, you know what I'm saying? And it, it, you just can't do it. Or if we took the front wheel off, she'd have to pop a wheelie. And we're going to ask her to do that here in just a moment. But it'd be, it'd be, you know, there's some people that could do that. They could pop a wheelie, but again, it would be very, it'd be very hard. 
A church can make it with a few people serving in the, in, in, the, in the kids' area. A church can make it with just a few people in the parking lot, a few people in the thing. can make it with a few people doing this and that. They can do it, but you know what? It's like popping a wheelie. But when everybody is assembled and doing their part, my God, that's the kind of church that gives God honor and glory. So the message here, the message here in Malachi is this. God was saying, and I wouldn't just say God was saying, God is saying, he says, I don't want your leftovers. I don't want your convenient scraps. He says, I want your best. God wants our best. And again, I really want this message again to be, cause each of us to stop and think, am I giving God my best? Myself included. Am I giving God my best? Am I giving him my best? You know, there was a, in Revelations, there was the, the letter that John wrote uh, to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And it says to the, to the angel of the church of, and the angel is, it was the pastors. He wrote these letters to these seven pastors, and he said this about them. And each one of them, he said, you know, you, you've done this good, but I have this against you. And here's what he said to the church at Ephesus. Revelation chapter 2, uh, verse 2 says this, I know the things that you do. I know I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know that you don't tolerate evil people. You don't, ex- you don't examine uh, you have examined the claims of those who say that they are apostles and are not. You've discovered that they're liars. You have, you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. And here, listen to this. You, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. And his remedy for that is look how far you've fallen and turn back to me. Turn back means to repent. Turn back to him. Again, notice all, the, all those things, again, that they did. The, the patient endurance, the hard work. They didn't tolerate evil. Uh, they've suffered patiently, again, without quitting. All of those things. And there's a phrase in there that says, you don't love me as you once did. And uh, there's a phrase. It's, a, it's called an apotiphany. And it's an apotiphany. You don't love me as you did. In the Greek, it's apotiphany. And it means, here's what it means. It means a ever slow turn that you don't realize that you're turning. You have turned for me. It's a slow turning. And I, I mentioned this before that I grew up, uh, was raised in, uh, in Atlanta. And downtown Atlanta back in the 70s, uh, they had this restaurant. And it was, uh, it was the highest building downtown Atlanta. And you can imagine what's happened to it since then. It has been dwarfed. But it was, uh, it's got, still there. It's got a big blue uh, dome on it, glass dome. And it's a restaurant, and you can eat up there. And if you eat up there, you can spend a whole hour eating, which some people can. Uh, they can you can literally see, you could have seen the whole city of Atlanta. But now you can see, you can see the buildings outside, outside the window because the buildings are all so tall. But that's an apotiphany, and that's what, that's what God was saying that has happened to the church at Ephesus. There has been an ever-slow turning that they didn't even realize that they had left their first love. And it's so easy for us to do. And that's why we need to messages like this. And we need to be reminded. And this is why God moved on Holy Men of Old to write stories and write, not stories, write history like this so that we can, we can learn from their mistakes. I love this verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what excellent things. I added that in there. That's mine. Excellent things that God has prepared for those who loved him. Just think for a moment about God's excellent. Think about God's creation. You know, there's so much beauty just in in this country alone. The stuff that I've never even seen. I've never been out to see the Grand Canyon or anything like that. But I've seen some beautiful mountains and, you know, in Gatlinburg. And, you know, there's just, I've seen beautiful stuff like that. We went to visit Hunter last year. And uh, he lives in Oregon. And there are some beautiful, beautiful lakes, blue. They're just, just awesome there. Excellent. 
I would say God did an excellent creation. He's patient and he's mercy, both excellent, excellent. His protection, his guidance, his, his, his provision, excellent, excellent, excellent. The Lord Jesus Christ, his wisdom, his integrity, his teaching, his love, excellent, 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 excellent. All four, all excellent. He died an excellent death. He, he rose an excellent resurrection. He, gave an, he had an excellent plan to send the Holy Spirit to us. He launched an excellent organism called the church, and he's preparing an excellent eternity for all of us. Excellent, excellent, excellent. How should we respond to the activities of an excellent God? We should give him our best. We should give him our excellence. Each of us, each one of us as individuals have to determine what kind of life that we're going to give to him. There's people, you know, that I know that have been praying for a while. They've been praying, you know, maybe they're praying for a spouse or praying for a better job or praying for a, a, a friend or a relationship. You know, and one of the things we should never do is when, when unanswered prayer is say it's God's fault or why, is it, why aren't you doing this? That's kind of paramount to what they were saying when God says, You've, you know, uh, do you love me? What do you mean, do we love you? How could you say that, you know, as they went on with that? Would God withhold his blessings from us if we don't give him our best? Would he withhold his blessings? Do you think he would? Or is he just such a good God, he's just going to bless us? He's just going to answer our prayers. Amen. You think he will? Amen. Amen. Well, let me read you a verse. Husbands, give honors to your wives. Treat your wives with an understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so that your prayers won't be hindered. So we can, our prayers can be hindered if just we, we treat our wife wrong, man. And I'm not going to go through them, but here's some other verses on this next slide. You can look these up. Psalm 66, 18, Proverbs 27, 15. Really, that should be put a, put a note in your, in your thing. That should be 20, 15, 29. And then uh, Proverbs 28, 9, Isaiah uh, 59 verse 1 through 3 let me read that one to you we won't take time because this, I don't think it's up here it says but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear so our sins and our uh, not treating people not walking in love sometimes we need to that's the reason sometimes when uh, something in, in my life when uh, it seems like my prayers aren't being uh, answered my first place that I look is my love walk I look at my love life. How's my, how's my relationship? How's my love walk towards my wife, towards my family, towards people in my church, towards people in stores, people that I don't know? How's, how's my love walk out in here? And oftentimes, God will put his finger on saying, you know what? You were disrespectful in this area. You need to make, you know, you need to get, get right in this area. You know, things had gotten so bad in, in Malachi chapter 1 that God actually said this. He said, I would that somebody had the courage to go shut the temple doors and send everybody home. That's how bad things had gotten there. So again, today is just a reminder that, again, that God, he desires our best, uh, deserves our best. Uh, and again, it's a great opportunity. I always say this. We love it. We need to take in, uh, what's, it, what's the word? Uh, inventory. We need to take an inventory like David did. David says, God, is there any wicked thing in me? Is there any evil in me? Anything in my heart, God, that's not pleasing unto you? anything in me oh god that's not pleasing unto you let's pray thank you lord jesus let's all stand to our feet hallelujah thank you father thank you lord god 
thank you, Lord God. Can we just spend just a, just a, just a minute and don't just listen to me. I'm going to thank God for his excellence and thank Jesus for his excellent blood, for his excellent sacrifice. But just tell him how much we love him. And just to spend just a moment say, God, is there anything in my life? Is there any area in my life that I'm not giving you my excellence? And allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Father, I, do, I pray to that today, God. Thank you. Thank you for being such an excellent father, an excellent provider. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying an excellent death and shedding your excellent blood. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. And Father, if there's any way in me, anything in me, God, that's not pleasing unto you, if there's anything in me, Father, any way, any wicked way in me, anything, Holy Spirit, that you would reveal that to me. And God, I choose as an act of my will, God, to repent. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. We magnify your name. What a good God you are. What a wonderful Father. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Let's just make a fresh commitment unto him. Just make a, a new commitment, a fresh and a new. Lord, I renew my love for you. I renew my commitment, God, to give you excellence in every area of my life. Lord, that you're first. You're first in my life. You're first in this church. You're first in my family. In the name of Jesus. Oh, God, I dedicate. I dedicate my life to you. I dedicate my life to you. I dedicate my life. I give it to you, afresh and anew on this day. On this day, on this day, God. We bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.